0: Episode 167 Hey, my riches, How are you? We are going through very important times in the last two weeks, in America and all over the world. And I chose to dedicate this podcast to entrepreneurs that choose to make this world a better place and to listen for the second time to the story of Deborah Levin, the founder and editor of the American Diversity Report. I think you will find her story thought provoking and inspiring, and I hope we will all face better and happier days. Deborah Levin is an award winning author of 14 books and founder editor of the American Diversity Report. Born in Brooklyn and brought up in Bermuda, her background includes advanced degrees in cultural anthropology, religion, and urban planning. Named by Forbes magazine as one of the top 10 diversity and inclusion trailblazers, Deborah is the inventor of a cognitive technology for addressing unconscious bias. As an entrepreneur, She created the Women's Council on Diversity, the DuPage Chicago Interfaith Resource Network, Youth Multicultural Video Contest, and the Southwest Global Leadership Academy. Her work is documented in her many books and journals, such as the Howard Divinity School Bulletin, newspaper opinion column, and online Media, including the Huffington Post. Her latest book, When Hate Groups March Down Main Street is the culmination of a lifetime spent promoting inclusion and counteracting hate. Deborah Levin, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. Hi. Wonderful to be here. Yes, I'm so happy we are finally talking and I read so much about you and things that you are writing. So. I'm really waiting to hear so much from you today. I just shared with my listeners what you've done until now. And I would like to ask you, what are you doing and most passionate about today? And where are you heading? My passion today reflects
1: my work for decades, making a difference in the world by looking at prejudice, religious diversity, and hate in this world and how to deal with it. And I started this journey almost by accident. And of course, there are no accidents in real life, but <laughs> many years ago. And I could share that story if you'd like. Sure. I was living in Chicago many years ago. and My daughter was just a little one and I needed a job. I had just finished my master's degree in urban planning and was hoping to get something in that career and wasn't able to find something. And so I, having had my parents work in the Jewish community, I went to the Jewish community. And my mother, who was an educator, was dying of cancer. And I thought that it would be a gift to her if I would take a job in the Jewish community, working for the Jewish community while she was still alive so she could see how much she had influenced me.
0: Wow. This is beautiful.
1: Huh. So I started off doing the interfaith dialogues in Chicago. I then ran a international interfaith organization and it was time when it, that was over to find a role for myself where I had uh, a more of an executive position. But because I'd never been an executive director of a nonprofit, no one would hire me. So here is where I became an entrepreneur. Hmm. And I, I created my own nonprofit and made myself executive director.
0: Well, and, and I must ask were your mother proud? Oh my goodness.
1: She was so proud, so pleased. And so was my father, who was in his retirement. Uh, the chief financial officer of Hebrew Union College and the American Jewish Archives. And so he was just beaming with joy.
0: Mm, it's beautiful. So you decided actually to leave the 9 to 5 or what people are talking about so much today and create your own nonprofit organization. And you were willing to uh, <laughs> have you is a director, as an executive um, manager, isn't it?
1: Yes, I will say that my decision to leave the nine to five job was in part based on my health, that I was just, I was worn out, totally worn out. Oh. And I thought that journey into keep doing my own nonprofit, that I would have much more control over my hours what I didn't realize is that those hours would be much more numerous <laughs> than I can But I was able to work from home and take care of my, my toddler, little girl. Uh, and so it was much more doable. Sure. Yeah, and it was a, an amazing uh, journey. I, I created something called the DuPage Interfaith Resource Network, which is still going today many decades later.
0: And what was the idea of this uh, entrepreneurship or this non-profit organization or, uh, that you decided to, uh, to open to start with?
1: I, w- I wanted to address the problems that the communities were having as they became more international. What was happening uh, has happened to communities across the nation as they become international the prejudice towards newcomers especially those of different faith caused a lot of conflict in the community
0: and in the public schools so actually you're talking about different kind of communities not only the jewish community
1: that's correct yes the the entire city the county the state this was something that was ongoing and it was an influx of people from India and from Muslim countries as Hmm. well as and it was something that was causing tremendous friction and it was my mission uh, to fix that.
0: I need to understand more what exactly were you actually trying to change?
1: Right, so I'll give you a story of what happened. It was in December and there was a controversy around where the Christmas tree in the public high school should be placed. And the new principal wanted to take it from the front door into a hallway a little bit further removed from the visibility to make sure that people could feel they were invited into the school no matter what their faith This caused an actual riot in the streets, and people, children, parents were marching in the streets against those who were not Christian and not agreeable to where the Christmas tree should be. And that's when I stepped in, because we cannot have riots like this. In your hometown.
0: Hmm. So when you stepped in, what what did you bring with you? What was the message?
1: I I brought the the message that we all had a stake in the community, in the quality of life that we could create together. And I put together public panels of different faiths who could talk about what they believed and people could learn a little bit more about them instead of having stereotypes just inhabit their brain and nothing else. Hmm. And that's what I wanted for people to understand. Uh, I was then uh, approached uh, by law enforcement of the county to create materials for their policing individuals so they could understand the communities that they were trying to assist. Uh, and gradually, it, it just grew, and the numbers of groups that wanted me to assist in this educational enterprise, whether it was chaplains in hospitals, a- educators in schools, of course, law enforcement. Uh, and so uh, I started to document everything and write books so that, even if I couldn't be there, I would have a voice in what was going on. And I put together a group of what I called quick reference religious diversity cards. Hmm. And I put into the book that documented what I was doing as a case study. So people could see what we did, how we did it, and the materials that we produced in the process.
0: You sound fantastic and did other communities adopted it? Oh, yes. We have
1: we've, we've adop- not only adopted it, but years later, uh, when I had developed my business even more, I created a sort of sequel to it that was specifically for the workplace. The first one documented what we were doing in the public schools. The second one documents how to do this in the workplace with different industries dealing with issues of religious diversity, and one of the reasons why I went ahead and did that is because many human, uh, maybe, uh, I should say, maybe the HR directors yeah. of large corporations would like to do this, but they understand how complex the issues are, and many of them will simply not go there, and so we, we created this book, Religious Diversity at Work. Yeah. So that they would have the materials and the training tools to do something around religious diversity instead of just ignore it altogether.
0: It's so interesting because I think that, uh, I don't know exactly when your first book about that came out, but actually I think that in the beginning you mainly thought about your own hometown but today thanks to the globalization the issue of diversity the issue of being able to work with people all over the world i think everything has changed i mean it's not only our hometown or our nation it's it's the globe
1: that's correct an understanding that is that's how my business grew and how i eventually created what many people know me by is the online magazine, American Diversity Report.
0: Yeah, which is uh, the one that I just uh, read lately, right? It's the one that uh, David wrote about. And actually, that was the next step of um, growing your business? Or did you have some steps in between? i had
1: some steps in between. There were times when I decided that I would take quote, what people call a real job. And I was hired by nonprofits as executive directors and Jewish federations hired me in Illinois. And then I made a decision that I wanted to see what was happening in terms of the far right in the white supremacist movement in America after the bombing of the Oklahoma City. Okay. so I took a job as the media person and communicator uh, with the Jewish Federation in Tulsa, Oklahoma, so that I could see for myself. And that decision really prompted much of what came later, uh, partly because I I got to see firsthand what many people will never see and should be happy to never see. (laughs) But also, what happened was two things. One is I was trained by FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation, wow. in security uh, was necessary, and uh, I was then alerted to going. Someone was coming into town to take advantage of the very divisive environment in Oklahoma, and that person was someone you may know. He's an international Holocaust denier, David Irving. Yeah. I went undercover into his meeting and discovered for myself what that was all about. When I told my father, who I knew had been uh, in the Army during World War II, about this incident, he immediately jumped on a plane and arrived in Tulsa. No. <laughs> because uh, he was very concerned for me i had not realized until then that he had been a us military intelligence officer assigned to interrogate nazi prisoners of war oh i had not realized that he had been a liberator of a death camp called nordhausen and i hadn't realized that he had kept all his wartime letters in a file in his closet, which he then shared with me. Oh. And understanding more about the background made me even more passionate about what I was doing. And I, to this day, am amazed at this legacy that I have. And I put many of those letters into my memoirs so other people can see them too.
0: And um, I want to jump for a minute to the issue of being an entrepreneur that chose to get into an organization back again. How did it feel? And did you change it later? Did you come back to be an entrepreneur?
1: I did indeed. I did
0: indeed. And how was that? How did you feel making this shift? You decided to get into it and you decided to get into it because you probably received an offer that you didn't want to uh, to let down, and suddenly you find yourself uh, working in an organization.
1: From Tulsa, I took another job as an executive director here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and uh, I wanted to have the experience of being the director. I really needed to be in control after having been an entrepreneur It's something something that gets into your blood and it's who you are. And and I was, and I may have stayed there, but I got quite ill on a mission to Uzbekistan and I could not really continue. And that's when I decided to go back to my entrepreneurial self. And at first it was very difficult for me, and yet... It has been the most creative, innovative, amazing period of my life.
0: Wow. Coming back to be an entrepreneur? Correct. In, in what way?
1: The ability to invent, to be across the entire planet, And to to give other people a voice, to have a voice, to be able to change the the culture of a workplace, school, uh, wherever it is, has been just an amazing experience that I'm so grateful for. And I keep going. I think that the best is yet to come. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I love you saying that I, I look at things exactly the same but when did you start to issue the diversity report? So the
1: diversity report was uh, launched about 14 years ago and I thought it would be just a simple newsletter but the idea was so attractive to people that I had mentors come to me to help me launch it, create it, and put it out there in a way that would be international, not just a PDF file. Hmm. So I'm very grateful to, to everyone who saw the beauty of what I was doing and led me, pushed me, helped me
0: <laughs>
1: the way. It's been an amazing collaboration.
0: So I thought I'd be all alone, but I wasn't. Looking at all these 14 years, first of all, something huge happened in terms of racism and uh, how uh, the American nation is facing uh, different people and uh, the different communities within the nation. I think there was a huge change, isn't it?
1: Yes, there's been quite a bit of change over the 14 years. The philosophy that I had when I created it came from my earlier days, which is basically that people should have a voice, should be able to tell their own stories, not have me tell them for them. Hmm. And so I invited many, many different people around the country, around the world to submit articles. Hmm and share them with the world and so I have and it's been amazing from you know small villages in Africa and in Latin America to New York City and you name it people have submitted articles and they're all up there about 700 of them uh, to teach people in different ways different modes it's all in English that is true uh, but the the styles and the the ways of looking at things are all very different, including poetry. And uh, my father loved poetry, and uh, read it to me as a little girl, and I realized that it was a window into cultures that shouldn't be just put out there uh, for artists, but for people in the workplace, in the hospitals, it's beauty that they need
0: and i want to jump to being an entrepreneur and ask you you've done a very interesting way and actually you have made the shift twice to become an entrepreneur and i want to ask you what would be your best advice to any entrepreneur out there regarding approaching their customers but it can be also those that you would like to impact or the organizations that you worked with, what is the best advice to succeed? Because actually you succeeded through the years to make the things that you wanted to be heard quite um, widely heard. And this is exactly what um, every entrepreneur is trying to do. We are trying not only to succeed financially, but a lot of them really want to impact the world in a way, and you made it that. So what would be your best advice to other entrepreneurs?
1: Well, thank you for asking that, because I do have strong feelings on this. Recently, I mentored a young man, entrepreneur in Cameroon. Hmm. One of the things that I shared with him is that the lessons of urban planning, of planning they are key to success in a, in a business. And regardless of where you are in the world, uh, the the lessons of following the vision, to the mission, to the goals and objectives, mapping it out with the timeline and the budgets, all of that helps put together your brain in hmm. such a way that you are ready To move forward because you know where you're going to go. Too many times, people have a passion, but they don't have a route, a path lined out for themselves of how they're going to go about it. And it's really, in many ways, quite uh, scientific and mathematical. So, if you apply that to your passion, you know, you come out with something, a business plan that can be sent off as a proposal, a contract, and a conversation uh, with your customers so they know where you're coming from. And it's not just a matter of making it up on the spot.
0: I love that um, advice so much because I just today um, read, or it was a short video of an entrepreneur that came from the financial world, but he said, you entrepreneurs must understand that you should stop being an entrepreneur or not stop being an entrepreneur, but don't only think as entrepreneurs in terms of business and start thinking as a business owner. Mm -hmm. And I think it's exactly that, that you have the time frames that you have to take in consideration. I'm not talking about the whole financial aspects of running a business. And I love you saying that because one can think that when you're talking about you know, such a in a way, a vague thing like opinions and beliefs. Maybe you don't need a plane. The fact that you're talking about that is excellent, I believe. Thank you. Hmm.
1: This was taught to me, I would say, 40 years ago.
0: Well, wow.
1: As part of urban planning, of how you think through a project, a business, an initiative. And once you start doing that and you do it over and over and over again, it becomes much simpler and you redo it every couple of years for your business. It isn't just a static thing. It's part of who you are, how you think it through so that you are not going to be irrelevant in a few years. Hmm. No futurists say that every service or product will be obsolete in about five years. Uh, Except for something that is technology-based, that can go obsolete in one year.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: To deal with that. And it's thinking about the future that has really promoted my work to where it is today. And when I say the best is yet to come, I really mean it. The future is so magnificent, and I have a plan for it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful. And um, you have a lot of successes, and I will talk with you about it in a minute. But I want to ask you, what is your biggest or one of the biggest, most critical failure with customer or with someone that you wanted to impact? the one that actually affected your entrepreneurial journey the most?
1: The first thing that comes to mind is something that women in particular have to deal with, and that is asking for what we're worth. And so many times I have not done that and regretted it.
0: Can you tell a specific example? You don't have to say names, of course. But just tell the example of what are you talking about, of how it happened, and why you see that as a failure.
1: Well, I I do a lot of of speaking. Yeah. And and, uh, when they ask you your fee, uh, there's a certain protocol that goes along with that that I've learned over the years. But when I was younger, I would simply give them a a dollar amount. And Mm -hmm. okay, now... As soon as this person said, okay, so quickly, I knew it was too Hmm. (laughs) I knew that if I had doubled it at least, I'd still get the yes. Maybe if I tripled it, there'd be a hesitation, but I'd get the yes. So I realized that I had not asked enough questions about the purpose of the presentation, when it would be, how long it would be what would be included in the expenses, all of these basic things that need to be paid for, you need to ask about before you give anybody a quote on your fee.
0: Because actually what you're talking about is how much what you're giving also worth, or how much you're worth, not only how much work you're going to do in preparing to speak, but how much it's worth for those that are bringing this knowledge or this uh, impact. Isn't it?
1: Yes, and many times it isn't just the information. It's you. You are the brand. You are what goes up on stage before you ever open your mouth and say a word. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing to me uh, how embracing that makes your presentation so much better because you understand what your customer is looking for. It's not just a few bullet points. And uh, it's gotten to the point now where if I take a a PowerPoint with me, when I speak, I explain to them, okay, I've got a PowerPoint, I've got a couple of PowerPoint bullets in this slide and that slide, but you should know that um, I hate these things and I probably won't use it at all because I'm going to be speaking to you personally. And you can get the PowerPoint another time. I'll email it to you if you would, if you would really like it. And the people laugh, uh, and then they realize, I really mean it. <laughs> 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 and it has that personal touch. And that's what people are looking for.
0: And that's the huge change that everybody is speaking about today. Mark Schaeffer wrote that the most human company wins, and you are doing that. Actually, myself and uh, but why do you see it as a, I can understand seeing it as a step in the way, but why do you see it as failure? Did you face it as failing? Uh,
1: I think that I, I think that not being paid what I was worth was a bit of a failure on my part, but it was also blended with the the actual presentation in those days where I was quite stilted. I read from cards. I was very informative, but not personal in many ways. I was an introvert in what I considered an extrovert field. I Mm. did not own it. And Mm. that combination of not owning the presentation and not owning the whole fee structure was something that I had to
0: change. And being able to ask for what you're worth helped you change it?
1: Yes, because when you get what you're worth, you realize, hmm, I don't think they just want a couple of bullet points. (laughs) They want Mm. me, the authentic me. And that's been a real revelation. And it changes uh, every year, really. Uh, And recently, uh, I was profiled in Forbes magazine, which is a a very high-end business magazine. Of course. (laughs) And uh, when I realized that that it happened, my first thought was, this will change my presentations. It will change my thinking about my business and myself. And it should. Hmm. Because every time you step up your game and people see it, more people see it, that's the time when you reboot your self-image, and your approach to your business.
0: Wow, I love that. I really love this example. And I would like now to ask you to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success, or what you see as the most significant success as a result of the right focus, customer focus, or customer's approach, or so something that you did right about uh, approaching your customers
1: talking to you about my most recent When Hate Groups marched Down Main Street. I did it with a colleague, and my view of this was it had to interface with communities who need it in order to be successful. It had to have strategies and real-time advice and because I've lived it so long, it was time to put it all together in this book. It's going to be amazing. Hmm. It takes some experience to pull together your biggest, most notable product. It might not happen on day one, and that's okay. Just keep going because it will happen as you go forward. It's amazing what accumulates every year. As you become an entrepreneur over and over again and reinventing your product, yourself, your marketing, uh, the people that you collaborate with and cooperate with, your customers, as you get feedback. And I'll share with you about the feedback. One day, about two weeks ago, I was in Walmart. So there's a, a cashier there who loves reading my newspaper opinion columns, and she always tells me that. So this time I said to her, okay, what would you like me to write about? And she said, I'd like for you to write about how we're going to survive this incredibly divisive time we live in. I thought, oh, great. Now that'll teach me to ask. But I did go ahead and I was inspired by that customer, that client, that reader. And I wrote, I think, my best ever column because I asked
0: you, you talked about the last book as your biggest success. Uh,
1: yes, I think it will be, and I already have commitments for book signings. I have a request to come and speak about it in Beverly Hills, uh, Hollywood kind of thing. I, I've had a request. <laughs> I've had a request to write a movie script about my life. I'm not sure that that's wow. going.
0: Wow! To... <laughs> I guess this is the proof, isn't it? In, I... in the United States, especially, what makes it a success? The idea that you were daring to put everything in written this time. I think
1: that that is part of it. That uh, that putting it into this book to reach out and interview people, mayor of the city to put in there the experiences that I've I've had. Make no mistake about it, writing like that requires an incredible amount of sophisticated pulling together of a lifetime. And I know that there are people out there who are beginning entrepreneurs who are thinking about writing a book to brand themselves, And it's something that I absolutely encourage and sometimes will coach people to do because not only is it something that is amazing for your customers to have and hold in their hands, but it does something for you, pulls together everything that you have in mind, creates the story to pull your reader in and be part of the journey that you're making.
0: Hmm. I love that also as a personal advice because I'm really um, I know that I I should write the book about how entrepreneurs should use the tool of seeing their customers or those that they want to impact. And thank you for the advice. <laughs> and oh yes. <laughs> Can you recommend? the best or most effective technological or digital tool that related to customer's focus or marketing or sales that you use. And I'm not looking for the shiniest new tool in the endless list. I'm looking for something that really helps you do the work that you are doing and succeed in what you are doing.
1: Now, the American Diversity Report is a a website, uh, and I think that a website is absolutely necessary for any entrepreneur. This website, of course, is 14 years old, and it's packed full, and it may be that a beginning entrepreneur today will go with something quite simple, which is the trend in websites these days. However, I would add Hmm. that I am the manager of that website i know the technology of it i use it i deploy it and while i don't claim to be an online guru i do know the ins and outs of that website and i urge all of the young entrepreneurs who create that website they may hire someone to do it but know how it works because You will want to tweak it and do things with it, and you may not always want to hire someone to do every little thing. It is so valuable, a tool, that you shouldn't just leave it to everybody else.
0: Mm, Wow, love it. And, uh, yeah, it's a unique advice, and I love it. And it is. Everyone must have and do have a website today. So I think it's an excellent advice and uh, a recommendation. Before I ask you my final question, which is my mountain questions, I want to ask you you know, there are many things that affect one's success, but I do believe that for each of us, there is one factor that really made it for them, that really helped them thrive and succeed the way they do. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor.
1: Wow, that's quite a question. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: All I know is that when I go to bed at night, I give thanks for the gifts and talents and experiences that I've been given that have been so unusual and amazing. And that sometimes I resent, I don't need such... <laughs> interesting life but it has been truly a treasure and I can only think that it comes from some divine source that has something in mind for me and so when I have a bad day when things don't go well I have a disappointment I keep that in mind and continue
0: Hmm. and it's like also opening a new page every day after closing it, after thanking for that? Yes, it is,
1: although I have a schedule that uh, (laughs) seems like it's 24-7. In my last memoir, I talk about this. It seems like it was a coincidence that I was asked years and years ago uh, to assist in developing the proposal for a new prayer book for the Reform Jewish Movement. And in doing so, I remember one of the religious leaders saying to me, he says, you think you're doing a job. I was a consultant at the time. You think you're doing a consulting job, but I've got news for you. You go this route in looking at prayer and the liturgy and how we're going to form it for the next century. And you personally Mm -hmm. will never be the same. I thought I was kidding, but it was very true. Hmm.
0: It was very true. My last question before asking you what is the best way to be in touch with you. My last question is my mountain question. And I already told you and my listeners know that uh, I always imagine this mission of marketing, of actually... And marketing is what you're doing and marketing is what every entrepreneur is doing because marketing is about bringing your product or your service or your ideas into the world out there. So I always imagine it as climbing mountain, step by step by step. The first close group needs to know about it and to have the awareness and then you are climbing more and more and more and creating the trust and uh, the like that you need in order to become successful. And I always imagine it as climbing a mountain. And at some point I started to ask my guests and that what I'm asking you. Whether you ever climbed a mountain, a physical mountain, literally a mountain, or wish to climb a mountain, or do you have any relationships with mountains at all, and I do also allow you to take the metaphor if you prefer.
1: So, I was brought up in Bermuda, where there are no mountains, and what we were totally covered up ocean, right? Uh, An <laughs> island has oceans, not mountains, and that was. Where were you brought up? Bermuda, Bermuda, Bermuda. Oh, Bermuda, which at the time was a British colony. They now call it yeah. Commonwealth. And we were, uh, the, and uh, still are, the only Jewish family to have lived on the island for four generations. Wow. And my mother and I both went uh, to school on the island. So the very first time I saw a real mountain when we were driving out west in America, uh, I was terrified. I hid a-
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Screaming. Okay, you're kidding. That actually exists outside of movies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, up we went. Up we went the mountain. And there's something about it that is so amazing. I live here in Chattanooga where we are surrounded by small mountains, uh, but they're called mountains, Signal Mountain, for example. And going up there and just looking from the heights is something we do, my husband and I, we do periodically and breathe in and get renewed. Hmm. It is, it is um, a beautiful experience. Climbing up them a little bit sometimes, but I, I view it as the, can I put it, as part of our lives now, We've been here 20 years. We are surrounded, surrounded by them
0: today, every day. Hmm. And what is, you said that it means a lot for you, but what does it feel being up there on the mountain?
1: There's a timelessness to it. Uh, these mountains hmm. are, are named for Signal Mountain, for example, were named for uh, incidents that happened during the American Civil War more than a century ago uh, there's a timelessness and sense of being part of history being part Hmm. of the of nature but also of being part of a time when there was a lot of conflict in the world and for me that works really well because in some ways it hasn't changed much (laughs) (laughs) and so Okay. I try to feel at home with the history as well as being part of the future of making a difference.
0: Mm, wow. And this is a great way to uh, actually close our conversation. And I want to ask you just what is the best way to contact you and to be in touch with you for any one of our listeners that would like to be in touch?
1: Mm-hmm. They can reach me by email at info at diversityreport.com. They can go on to my website, americandiversityreport.com, and send me a note through the contact template, or they can look at all kinds of the things that we have up there, including all my books and whatnot, and send me a note through any of those pages. I'd be delighted to hear from people. Let me know what you're doing. If people want to submit an article, there are submission guides they can look at. It's, it's all good. Let's get together, guys. Let's get
0: together. That's beautiful. Deborah, I would like to thank you so much for this conversation. It has been fascinating. And I think that the combination between your, what you've chosen to deal with, together with being an entrepreneur, I think it's a very unique point of view. And thank you for sharing that.
1: Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Hmm. Thank you and bye-bye and take care. Thanks again. Hmm. Bye-bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye.